Section 20 of Summer in a Garden and Calvin, A Study of Character by Charles Dudley Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mark Penfold. Section 20 Summer in a Garden. Seventeenth Week. I like to go into the garden these warm latter days and muse. To muse is to sit in the sun, and not think of anything. I am not sure but goodness comes out of people who bask in the sun, as it does out of a sweet apple roasted before the fire. The late September and October sun of this latitude is something like the sun of extreme lower Italy. You can stand a good deal of it, and apparently soak a winter supply into the system. If one only could take in his winter fuel in this way... The next great discovery will very likely be the conservation of sunlight. In the correlation of forces, I look to see the day when the superfluous sunshine will be utilized, as, for instance, that which has burned up my celery this year will be converted into a force to work the garden. This sitting in the sun amid the evidences of a ripe year is the easiest part of gardening I have experienced. But what a combat has gone on here! What vegetable passions have run the whole gamut of ambition, selfishness, greed of place, fruition, satiety, and now rest here in the truce of exhaustion? What a battlefield, if one may look upon it so! The corn has lost its ammunition, and stacked arms in a slovenly, malicious sort of way. The ground vines are torn, trampled, and withered, and the ungathered cucumbers, worthless melons, and golden squashes lie about like the spent bombs and exploded shells of a battlefield. So the cannonballs lay on the sandy plain before Fort Fisher after the capture. So the great grassy meadow at Munich, any morning during the Oktoberfest, is strewn with empty beer mugs. History constantly repeats itself. There is a large crop of moral reflections in my garden which anybody is at liberty to gather who passes this way. I have tried to get in anything that offered temptation to sin. There would be no thieves if there was nothing to steal, and I suppose in the thieves' catechism the provider is as bad as the thief, and probably I am to blame for leaving out a few winter pears which some predatory boy carried off on Sunday. At first I was angry, and said I should like to have caught the urchin in the act, but on second thought I was glad I did not. The interview could not have been pleasant. I shouldn't have known what to do with him. The chances are that he would have escaped away with his pockets full and jibed at me from a safe distance. And if I had got my hands on him, I should have been still more embarrassed if I had flogged him. He would have got over it a good deal sooner than I should." That sort of boy does not mind castigation any more than he does tearing his trousers in the briars. If I had treated him with kindness and conciliated him with grapes, showing him the enormity of his offense, I suppose he would have come the next night and taken the remainder of the grapes. The truth is that the public morality is lax on the subject of fruit. If anybody puts arsenic or gunpowder into his watermelons, he is universally denounced as a stingy old murderer by the community. A great many people regard growing fruit as lawful prey, who would not think of breaking into your cellar to take it. I found a man once in my raspberry bushes, early in the season, when we were waiting for a dishful to ripen. Upon inquiring what he was about, he said he was only eating some. 
and the operation seemed to be so natural and simple that i disliked to disturb him and i am not very sure that one has a right to the whole of an abundant crop of fruit until he has gathered it at least in a city garden one might as well conform his theory to the practice of the community as for children and it sometimes looks as if the chief products of my garden were small boys and hens it is admitted that they are barbarians there is no exception among them to this condition of barbarism this is not to say that they are not attractive for they have the virtues as well as the vices of a primitive people it is held by some naturalists that the child is only a zoophyte with a stomach and feelers radiating from it in search of something to fill it it is true that a child is always hungry all over but he is also curious all over and his curiosity is excited about as early as his hunger he immediately begins to put out his moral feelers into the unknown and the infinite to discover what sort of an existence this is into which he has come his imagination is quite as hungry as his stomach and again and again it is stronger than his other appetites you can easily engage his imagination in a story which will make him forget his dinner he is credulous and superstitious and open to all wonder in this he is exactly like the savage races both gorge themselves on the marvellous and all the unknown is marvellous to them i know the general impression is that children must be governed through their stomachs i think they can be controlled quite as well through their curiosity that being the more craving and imperious of the two i have seen children follow about a person who told them stories and interested them with his charming talk as greedily as if his pockets had been full of bonbons perhaps this fact has no practical relation to gardening but it occurs to me that if i should paper the outside of my high-board fence with the leaves of the arabian nights it would afford me a good deal of protection more in fact than spikes in the top which tear trousers and encourage profanity but do not save much fruit a spiked fence is a challenge to any boy of spirit but if the fence were papered with fairy tales would he not stop to read them until it was too late for him to climb into the garden i don't know human nature is vicious the boy might regard the picture of the garden of the hesperides only as an advertisement of what was over the fence i begin to find that the problem of raising fruit is nothing to that of getting it after it has matured so long as the law just in many respects is in force against shooting birds and small boys the gardener may sow in tears and reap in vain the power of a boy is to me something fearful consider what he can do you buy and set out a choice pear-tree you enrich the earth for it you train and trim it and vanquish the borer and watch its slow growth at length it rewards your care by producing two or three pears which you cut up and divide in the family declaring the flavor of the bit you eat to be something extraordinary the next year the little tree blossoms full and sets well and in the autumn has on its slender drooping limbs half a bushel of fruit daily growing more delicious in the sun you show it to your friends reading to them the french name which you can never remember on the label and you take an honest pride in the successful fruit of long care that night your pears shall be required of you by a boy along comes an irresponsible urchin who has not been growing much longer than the tree with not twenty-five cents worth of clothing on him and in five minutes takes off every pear and retires into safe obscurity 
in five minutes the remorseless boy has undone your work of years and with the easy nonchalance i doubt not of any agent of fate in whose path nothing is sacred or safe and it is not of much consequence the boy goes on his way to congress or to state prison in either place he will be accused of stealing perhaps wrongfully you learn in time that it is better to have had pears and lost them than not to have had pears at all you come to know that the least and rarest part of the pleasure of raising fruit is the vulgar eating it you recall your delight in conversing with the nurseryman and looking at his illustrated catalogues where all the pears are drawn perfect in form and of extra size and at that exact moment between ripeness and decay which it is so impossible to hit in practice fruit cannot be raised on this earth to taste as you imagine those pears would taste for years you have this pleasure unalloyed by any disenchanting reality how you watch the tender twigs in spring and the freshly forming bark hovering about the healthy growing tree with your pruning knife many a sunny morning that is happiness then if you know it you are drinking the very wine of life and when the sweet juices of the earth mount the limbs and flow down the tender stem ripening and reddening the pendant fruit you feel that you somehow stand at the source of things and have no unimportant share in the processes of nature enter at this moment boy the destroyer whose office is that of preserver as well for though he removes the fruit from your sight it remains in your memory immortally ripe and desirable the gardener needs all these consolations of a high philosophy the end of section twenty recording by mark penfold